Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Kat Stark is an author, podcaster, and blogger at onthewetcoast.com. They talk about their marital renaissance, slut-shaming, slut-empowerment, overcoming non-monogamy, shame through consensual non-consent fantasy, swinging, how the book Come As You Are helped them, the book Opening Up, and their own book Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut. It's one of my most efficient and on-task sessions yet. I'm sort of like woman adjacent. <laughs> like, it's so funny because like, no, my, my gender is is still in this kind of like, eh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I definitely, um, you know, was raised female. And, and so I have all of the, the societal hangups of that sort of thing. But currently, I guess, you know, genderqueer is probably the descriptor that um, most likely. I, I use genderqueer as well. Yeah. And so. I also consider myself like a man, but man adjacent more than anything. Yeah, like I'm like, I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Because it's like, I don't ever feel like a man, but I just don't always entirely feel like a woman. So, yeah. Yep, that totally resonates <laughs> with me. Okay, cool. 100%, yep. And you use they, them pronouns. Yeah. I've um, started using they, them pronouns more. Yeah, and I definitely do it a lot more in sex positive spaces like mm -hmm. you know at, at work i'm not gonna try to make my patients understand that like right. it's um but yeah a fellow educator introduced me using they them pronouns and i was like oh that's what that feels yeah, like yeah you're like oh felt totally different <clears throat> and my book is written you know i felt like a cis woman at the time and so it's all about you know being a cis woman and it's all like she her all in the back of it so i understand why a lot of people get confused and especially if they've used the if seen the book they you know immediately mm -hmm. go to she her because that's what i was using at the time but right. it has sort of shifted since then so evolution yeah <clears throat> all right well we can open the podcast there i'll welcome all the intimates to our session I'm talking with Kat Stark, an author, podcaster, and blogger um, at West Coast Cat with a K. Wet Coast. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. <clears throat> at Wet Coast Cat with a K on Twitter and the website on thewetcoast.com. And of course, you're the author of the book Yelling in Pasties The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut. Yep. Wonderful. <laughs> That's me. And we're going to be talking today about sex positivity in one's 40s. Yeah, it, it uh, definitely is something that didn't show up for me until, yeah, later than average. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think there's an average age that people sort of come into it? Um, yeah, maybe not. I think it just, it just appears because 
in a lot of the circles I run, people are, you know, typically younger than me, and mm -hmm. they all seem to have it together. So it may be much more about like where society is, as opposed to like where people's age ranges are. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about it, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how has sex positivity impacted the quality of your life since you first sort of ran into it? Um, well, it's improved it pretty significantly. Um, <laughs> it has improved both my sense of self, it has improved my understanding of my body and my sexuality and just how everything works. Uh, it's freed me up a lot of, you know, the hangups that I grew up with and yeah, that ability to just learn so much about myself after I thought I kind of knew how I worked mm -hmm. and to have just all of these new things where I'd had all these assumptions of, of what I was into and, and, you know, how I orgasmed and, and what kind of, it's a pleasure I really enjoyed, um, has just been turned on its head over the last four years or so. And yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, confusing, but yeah, and it's really significantly improved my relationship with my partner, my nesting partner, and just our our ability to communicate um, with each other because we started talking about a lot of things that, you know, we had been married for like almost 20 years when we started, you know, doing a lot more exploring. And so, again, you like, you figure you know everything about each other. And yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> um, so as we've learned new things about each uh, ourselves, we've learn new things about each other and been able to share that and explore some of the things like really together and had these incredible experiences and some things, you know, we've explored separately because we discovered that that was the thing that worked for us too. And how, how did that land for you in your marriage? Was it a little bit like a renaissance? That's like kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like, we'd sort of had a bit of a renaissance over like the year or so before we decided to start exploring these things. Um, you know, we'd had a bit of a lull in our in our interactions with one another and, and just, you know, you kind of get into a rut and a habit and, you know, life just gets in the way a lot of the time and, and yeah, you just kind of lose that, that really charged feeling. And I had started uh, reading and writing a lot of slash fiction and, <laughs> um, and so I was like doing all of this descriptive writing and, and doing all this reading and it was mostly like gay male slash fiction um, and so just about like men's bodies and so just thinking about them and then doing all this writing and and this really sexually charged exploration of men's bodies made me like really crave his male body in a way that I hadn't before and so things like giving blowjobs that I had done because you know that's the right thing to do. I hadn't especially enjoyed, like it was, you know, it was fine. Um, but I started craving doing it because, you know, the idea sure. of like sense and, and taste and, you know, just texture, like just became so interesting to me in a way that it hadn't. Mm. And that me craving him helped him feel more energized and more sexual, which, you know, bounced back to me. And so we just had come through a bit of a, of a renaissance over this sort of the year before we decided to um, get exploring. And then when we had gone um, to see Dan Savage actually recording a podcast um, live in Vancouver, and he said the words that like, yeah, everybody wants to fuck somebody else. Like your partner wants to fuck other people. 
because everybody does. Um, and, you know, that does not include asexual folks who don't. Um, but sure, as, sure. A, as a general, you know, people who are partnered and sexual. Um, and it was really freeing because I'd always felt like I was, it was a failure on my part some way that, that I wasn't enough or, you know, that, that he wouldn't be craving me and he'd want other people that, that seemed like a flaw in myself, mm -hmm. but it also seemed like a flaw in myself that I wanted to right. have, so, you know, I had these feelings where I was attracted to other people and wanted to have sex with them. So it's almost like you got it both sides. Yeah. And of course, we're excluding the exception to the rule, which might be the people who are like, no, I'm legitimately happy having sex with this single human. Yeah. And I think, you know, most people, like a lot of monogamous, uh, monogamous, I can say the words, um, yep. folks are, you know, content in their marriage, but they sure. might, you know, they're going to see some hot person and be like, oh yeah, that could be. Totally. Um, and then just go back. Like, it doesn't mean they're going to act on it, sure. but... But, yeah, a, but yeah. attraction exists. Like, yes. You're going to see someone who is a sexy human being yeah. that you're like, oh, I'm really interested in like, be, like knowing more about that person. Yeah. And that that's not like an aberrant behavior. That's probably more the rule than the exception. Yeah. Yeah. Even in monogamous couples, I would say. Yeah. And that just, it just took this weight off my shoulders mm -hmm. that it wasn't a failing on my part. And then mm -hmm. that just helped me feel sort of lighter and more free. And we just started having these conversations and, um, started thinking about maybe like I, I, I heard about some of the sex clubs that were in town, which I didn't know was a thing. And Oh my God. Um, and thought about, you know, going and having public sex and, Hot. and yeah, it just became this thing. And then, yeah, it sort of snowballed us <laughs> as it were, um, over the next, you know, eight months or so. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how does identifying as a slut impact you? Like, how is it significant? And would you recommend it for others? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd recommend it if it speaks if to it you. Um, sure. And there are definitely spaces where it it's really embraced. And there's, you know, like a lot of, you know, slut magic kind of like feels. Um, and there are places where it's really not embraced as much. And so, yeah, it embracing that label again was just really freeing because I had, I didn't realize until I was getting to explore a lot of the stuff that I had been craving it sort of really for about as long as I could remember. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was, a, a you know, a young teenager and I'd hear about, you know, Oh, so-and-so got finger banged and, and we, you know, do the like, Oh my God, how gross, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, right. but I was really like, well, how, how do I get finger banged? Um, and, you know, all of these things that I would hear about, oh, you know, they had sex with like two people at that party. And I'd be like, well, can that happen to me? <laughs> like, um, and I just, you know, all that stuff was just squashed down so much because, yeah, you weren't supposed to have these kinds and of There thoughts. were probably other folks in, in even the same age range yeah. that were all saying the same thing they knew they were supposed to yeah. say of, oh, that's so gross and secretly going home and masturbating to Yeah, it. exactly. And I, like, I wanted these things to happen and, you know, had a lot of ravishment fantasies and that kind of stuff because then it wasn't on me. It was just this thing that was happening to me, you know, and I could like really embrace it. And, um, there's an, there's an interesting intersection there between like the repression of women's sexualities 
alongside of consensual non-consent fantasies. Yes. Which ties into this whole, like, oppressive dynamic of, like, violence is sexy because violence is the only way that my natural experience of sex is, like, appropriate in yes. society. Yeah. Which is, like, a super fucked lens. Mm-hmm. Even coming at it from a BDSM mindset, as I do, I'm like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Like, anyways, yeah. that's just a side sidebar. No, and it's it's totally accurate because that is often sort of the only way that people feel like they could actually let go. And so once we had become non-monogamous, I did have a lot of concerns about how again, because of the way I was socialized, um, of how my partner Flick would feel about that. And so when I was going off and having adventures, especially once we started dating solo, and I was really worried about how he might see me differently. Um, Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how really embracing that piece of myself might reflect negatively upon me um, through his eyes. And we had this moment where he'd come in from something and I was getting dressed in some sexy outfit and he's like, Oh, you know, how's my magnificent slut wife? And I just, again, like I just had this like, Oh, like, you know, he likes it that, that I'm a slut and it, and it helped me not that I needed his permission, but it just helped me like feel good that this thing that I was doing, you know, for me also gave him pleasure. And, and, and it's also being seen and validated yes. as who you are yeah. and having that like lovingly respected and cherished. Exactly. And so, yeah, when I've had, you know, new partners that they, you know, we've talked about, like, do you like name calling and stuff like that? And I'm like, I love being called a slut, but you have to do it in a supportive and, in, you know, right. enthusiastic, like, you know, go you kind of way. As at, opposed to in a degrading, I'm into degrading fetishing. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, like that, stuff. I will just end up in a ball in the corner kind of thing Um, because what you know my brain tells me is 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 bad enough i don't need anyone externally (laughs) saying that stuff to me so hashtag anxiety uh, yeah yeah absolutely so it's yeah it's just really like let me you know be who i am and and let me sort of expose myself in a in ways with you know having podcasting and blogging and and you know writing and releasing a book where you know, I'm talking about who I am, and uh, and a lot of my muggle friends have actually read my book, and I always worried about, like, how they would see me after that. So I would just always be like, like, it's really dirty, like, you don't understand, it's, like, really dirty, like, you're gonna learn a lot of stuff about me that you might not really be, and they'd be like, oh, no, I want to read the dirty stuff. Um, and just everyone who's come back and talked to me about it um, has just been so enthusiastic. They're like, oh my God, it's so cool and stuff. But I sort of really worried that they they might see me differently. So it's it's always that kind of dichotomy of, of like, yeah, I'm a slut and like, uh, please don't judge me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just trying to carve out that space to sort of ex- mm-hmm. be yourself and express yourself and have like a healthy, happy, like, sex life yeah that's full and sort of like meets your needs and yeah yeah i resonate really strongly with that as mm-hmm. an as a non-monogamous person as well i i very much love the idea of of not just sexual empowerment of my partners but there's there is something to celebrate in a person being vulnerable there's something to celebrate mm-hmm. in a person embracing who they are and just being like yeah i'm gonna go fuck like three other people yeah <laughs> and 
there is something incredibly vulnerable about being being witness to that even yeah. if you're not literally there i mean being witness to like the transformation and like the the fullness of life is something that's truly beautiful to me to witness yeah for sure yeah so i definitely get all the positive fuzzy feels um about having sluts for partners yeah. and hugely encouraged I'm, I'm always mindful because i don't want them to feel like i'm pushing them to have sex yeah. with other people <laughs> so i'm like really like reticent to like say too much but i'm but i'll often be like oh yeah if that person's really sexy to you i can go and and see if they're interested if if it's really difficult for someone femme presenting to approach someone else femme presenting mm. i don't mind being like hey if this is something that interests you and sort of being a more savvy with words human like go, which is the case in my in my in my unique situation it's the case i think um going over there and doing some of the work and then just walking away from it and being like cool like yeah do what you will like enjoy yourselves etc and just not being part of it it's it's more just about like being the facilitator the, yeah. sh- the shit disturber and the enabler. Yeah, yeah, and and having a having wing people <laughs> uh, can be really handy, especially those of us who are actually kind of shy, and um, yeah, and to have especially when your partner is doing it, it, it feels like really good to mm-hmm. have them be so enthusiastic that they're in fact like. We had this amazing moment one time um, when we were on a trip with a bunch of uh, non-monogamous folks and. Myself and this other guy had been like, you know, flirting back and forth, but it just wasn't really going anywhere. And finally, Flick is like, hey, do you want to show so-and-so our room? And I was like, oh, hey, do you want to see our room? And he's like, yeah. And so off we went. But if, if Flick hadn't sort of been like, okay, you do, like, make this happen, you know, it probably wouldn't have Do you want to show him our room? Yeah. That's, that's adorable. Yeah. And it was just like, we were both so sort of like, oh yeah, we're a couple of dorks. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's just go. So yeah, it was, it was lovely. It's also a really good way, not that people need permission, but it's a really good way of, of sort of like offering one's blessing almost, especially for a new partner that isn't feeling like, that maybe is feeling welcome, but isn't sure how far that welcome extends. It's a really good way of saying like, feel comfortable in the space, go do your thing. Yeah. I will be down here watching Netflix totally content. Yeah, exactly. I, I need I need the hours so that I can catch up on my show. Yeah, exactly. Like you're doing me a favor. I get to play WoW for this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's just where I am. Like if I've masturbated twice that day and had sex once, it's like seriously go and fuck each other's <laughs> brains out. Like I am good. I am so happy to just sit here and just like watch Netflix and play hots or like, you know, chat online with my friends. Like I'm that needs bowl is overflowing. Yeah. Like no amount of of sex is going to meet more of my needs than are already yeah. met. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk about sexual shame then. Oh, fun. Yes, it's the it's the anti-fun. <laughs> um, but you already brought up some really good points about like you the way that people will fantasize about consensual non-consent or rape play um, just to... Um, and and there are going to be folks that really dis- dislike that name mm-hmm. for consensual non-consent. And I'm totally cool with that. I just want to hold space for the folks that do especially like the term rape play. Yeah. Because even though it's fantasy and isn't the same thing. And a lot of people will make the subtle distinction that 
or not so subtle that rape is never sex and that sex isn't rape and that they're two very different things Mm -hmm. in the same way that spanking someone in kink isn't the same thing as battery or assault. It's not battery play. It's giving someone a loving spanking is very different. So like, I respect that. And also there are folks who do want to approximate a more violent, non-consensual experience and that don't feel the phrase consensual non-consent fits for them. Cool. You do you. Mm Mm-hmm. Pick your labels. I'm a relationship anarchist. I don't give. I don't really don't care. (laughs) I just wanted to mention all those nuances in the context of this. So, but that's one way of sort of dealing with and almost exercising in the in the demon going away sense. um, Sexual shame. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, you know, sometimes like ravishment fantasy is another sort of expression for it, just because then it's a bit more. You know, it does sort of give a little more impression of the bodice repair kind of um, mm-hmm. those, you know, Harlequin romance feel to it. But yeah, just like taking away that your control of it just allows for, for exploration of some things. And, and it's, yeah, you get to, cause it takes a lot of vulnerability to express what you want. Definitely. And so to just have the things that you want happen to you sort of like, Oh wow, it's happening. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of, of, of freedom in that because you don't have to be vulnerable in that way to yeah. just say to someone like, look, I actually want you to do this stuff to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because like, yeah, their reaction may not be super positive and, and just figuring out your way through that can be really tricky. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, like, this stuff is really hard stuff to figure out a Mm -hmm. safe way of doing. So I would just, like, encourage folks to go to your local BDSM organization, you know, like, take classes, like, learn how to negotiate, learn how to keep yourself safe. Even Mm -hmm. if you're with a partner you've been with for a very long time, it is so important to learn how to negotiate this stuff. Yeah, and it can be, like, because of the shame factor, it can feel safer to talk about a lot of this stuff, like, with someone who's not your like nesting partner or your long-term partner uh, because like you have to look them in the eye every day. And so if you've asked for something that they're really not into and they're now judging you about, you, like you, you feel that ongoing. Day. Whereas if it's a, a stranger or someone, you know, a casual acquaintance, like you might not have to see again, mm-hmm. it can be safer. And we really discovered that we needed to change up the way that we talked about like different kinks and different experiences because of that unintentional shaming of each other. Mm-hmm. And like both of us had done it to one another. And so like by like mocking, um, you know, water sports and stuff like that. Then when we were talking about things, like I felt like I couldn't actually bring up, like I'm actually kind of into that. Um, and I would like it to happen, but because he'd been so negative about it, Um, just like through jokes and through like Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, I didn't feel safe to talk about it. And then I had done a certain amount of that to him, like about, you know, sadists and and that sort of thing. Um, And, and so, yeah, he didn't really feel safe. Like, you know, like I actually like hurting you Um, and Mm -hmm. then that feeling safe. So there's, there's just so much shame and there's so much that we do back and forth, like completely unintentionally. So we've really had to, to learn to be very conscious of that. Um, but it's tricky because it's all it's all through, you know, all of our pop culture. And so often <clears throat> the same people that will shame you for a thing hold exactly that fantasy. Yeah. And they're just so 
guarded. Yeah. And and it's it's the same like gay anti-gay senator from yeah. the US that is so staunchly against a thing because they're terrified people are going to find out they're really into it. Yeah, and and sometimes the shame is so strong that I, they almost don't know themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it, it definitely is that. I'm fighting against this thing because it's intriguing. Yeah. So tell me what you learned about sexual shame from your mother. Oh, um, yeah just to feel a lot of shame, really. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have memories of being relatively young. I don't know how old I was at the time, but I used to, I used to masturbate by just kind of grinding on my hands, and I didn't really realize it was something people knew I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I remember her, I think, you know, I'd climbed into bed with them, um, being scared of some monster probably on Scooby-Doo. And, um, <laughs> and, and I was doing that because I thought they wouldn't know. And she was just like, stop that. And I was just like, oh, what? And she's like, don't do that. It's bad, kind of. And it was just like, oh. And so, like, I became more secretive about it. But I still totally did it. But I had so much shame built into the act whereas like before it was just like this feels nice I'm doing this thing that feels really good mm-hmm. and rather than like okay that's the thing you do by yourself in private it, you know it's fine it's cool just you know enjoy it but just not here this isn't appropriate it was just like don't do that it's bad mm-hmm. and so yeah we just it just it was just shut off and we didn't ever have discussions about sex and I remember bringing it up to her when I was an adult and she just sort of said oh you were reading all those romance novels I figured you'd figured it out and uh, (laughs) yeah it just sort of it just wasn't a thing that was part of our relationship of discussing it and when Flick and I first moved in together Mm -hmm. she was like oh you should go to the doctor and make sure the birth control you're on is strong enough now that you're using it for contraception it was like yeah now that I'm using it for contraception (laughs) unlike these six years previous that I have been using it for contraception it's a good thing it was strong um, enough and and so yeah like we just and I, I just sort of muttered something and we just like, that was the last we ever talked about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Intense. So did you ever, did you ever sort of talk with your mom after that about like coming to terms with this new renaissance in your marriage? Oh, she had passed away before that happened. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of my parents have passed. So, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's a little morbid, but I think it's part of what let me Wow. Because my my shame was really so strong that I don't I don't know if I could live the life I'm living now if my parents were alive. Wow. Yeah. That speaks volumes. Mhm. And she we did all share a house for a while like after my dad passed, um Flick and I lived upstairs and my mom lived downstairs and so I think that was part of what kind of fucked up our sex life was because of that consciousness of of shame and, so close. Uh, yeah, and that you have hearing and just, like, our house is not very soundproof. And, like, so a lot of that stuff really, yeah, just, like, tamped things down. And it wasn't, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that it's, it's something I could do if, if they were alive. Mm-hmm. I had a further question. I can't remember what it was now. 
I was just so absorbed in what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> I had this like really good idea come up and then it just floated away. Well, I, I can tell you a, a funny story from our first night that we went out and we met a, we sure. decided to swing um, sure. and so we met up with this couple and we were at their place and we'd been playing some sexy games and like everyone in the room had gone down on me and and I was just like this is the greatest thing ever and and something else sexy was happening and I was like because I my mouth just happens I was like it's a good thing my parents are dead and you just blurted this out. And, and, the... and just the room just went silent. And I was like, oh, okay, you don't know me at all to understand, like, the, who I am and where this context and, and all this kind of thing. So, so yeah, it's, it's something that has come up at times that it probably shouldn't have in, in sexy adventures. That's, that's a hilarious story, though. Yeah. Now that you have the story, that's wonderful. Yeah. So I guess that's more what sex positivity looks like for you now. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about swinging and, and that transition, if yeah. it was a transition. Yeah, like from... um, yeah, it definitely was because we we first decided we wanted to like have some public sex, and then we decided like, hey, maybe we'll have a threesome. Uh, it was something that we were always interested in, and we had had a little bit of room for non-monogamy uh, earlier in our marriage because I hadn't ever explored with women. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that I was bisexual once I learned that word um, and sort of didn't figure it out really until my 20s. But so we, because I had never explored it, it wasn't something he wanted to be like, you never get to do this because now we're married. And so I did do some um, some adventuring with a couple of our friends in just very casual kind of ways and and was kind of like, okay, you know, that's done. But it was always with other people who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And it, it was their first experience too. So it, it, like they were nice experiences, but they weren't like life-changing kind of things. So it was more like, okay, I've done that. I know what, you know, uh, sex with women is like, I can just go back to, to our life. Um, but when we decided, like, let's have a threesome, I did the thing that you're totally not supposed to do is go to one of our bisexual friends. And I was like, just like, hey, like, if you're not into this, totally cool. You know, we don't ever have to talk about it again. Uh, it's not the reason we like you. But if you, you know, we think you're really cute. And if you're into it, you know, we're wondering if you'd like to have a threesome. And she was just like, yeah. And I'm like, still talking. If you want to think about it. And like, I just kept going. She's like, no. I'm yes, that sounds fun. I think you're both really cute too. And and she had been kind of in a in a bit of a triad with some people, and she really she didn't want to be in any kind of a relationship with anyone. She just found it a big hassle, and yeah, it just wasn't where her life was. So like to have people come and say like, hey, would you like to have some sex? That she didn't have to deal with anything else with it. Um, she was like, yeah, this sounds great, and so. We, we had that threesome and it was really nice and, and we had some more and, and some other friends sort of once they knew we were open were like, hey, and um, started exploring that way and then thought, well, maybe we're swingers, maybe we should swing. And so, you know, got on a couple of websites and went and met some people and, and had some fun, but we realized that trying to get that like four person dynamic was really tricky and there was there was sort of that amazing feeling of like all the bodies on the bed in this way that I'd never had and like not knowing whose hand that was that was touching me was just like this glorious moment. <laughs> um, and like just my, my slut was like, ah! 
and it like it, it gave us those experiences but we just realized that yeah we just weren't always as into the people um as we like should have been in those moments and so we were then like well maybe we should just date individually so we started doing that and still had occasional threesomes and kind of it, it, like everything just kept you know sort of snowballing and then you know met some people and started having some more intense relationships and and you know denied for so long that we were poly <laughs> um and we were like no we don't want to sit around and like talk all the time <laughs> and <laughs> that's all poly people do is just like blah 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 it's just all about the process and um <laughs> and uh and then, yeah, we realized we were totally poly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it it's just like, it's just every time we think that we've sorted it out and like, okay, I'm this. <laughs> um, you know, things have just shifted and swirled as as life does. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny how we have these narratives and scripts of how monogamy is supposed to be done. Yeah. And we have different scripts and narratives of how we can do monogamy. And for literally every other kind of relating to a human being, we have this giant question mark called non-monogamy. Yeah. Literally everything except monogamy fits into this second bucket. Yes. That just holds every different relationship style. Yeah. So the notion of always being talking is like, yeah, we just, we don't have a lot of great models. Yeah. We have monogamous ideas of friends with benefits and fuck buddies that fundamentally divorce sex from emotional intimacy. Yeah. But we don't have great like other relationship models where you want to experience emotional intimacy and maybe have sex mm -hmm. and, and do that regularly with multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I've learned very much over the time that we've, we've been doing this, that I am, I'm less into the polyamory part of it. Like personally, you know, mm -hmm. he has, mm -hmm several like long-term partners that they have these really intense relationships and and I have had some long-term partners but really just discovered that that just isn't really where it sits right for me so mm -hmm. I tend to prefer the friends with benefits thing mm -hmm. and I'm doing exploring currently um to kind of shake off some you know bad breakup energy um over the like from last year that I just was really miserable for a long time after that breakup and decided earlier this year that like maybe I'm going to explore being a unicorn because um, I that's, in that's fact, fun. love having sex with couples and I, I'm so comfortable in who I am that I can just be the person that is there and is good and, and can give you know and I'm a little bit of a of a service person um, so I don't know whether it's a service top or or what but I just mm -hmm. like I love to do stuff to people and so if there's a the thing they want I'm like woo let's do it um, so that makes me feel really good mm -hmm. and it just just no intense feels and just none of that angst because mm -hmm. yeah I've just the angst has been far too much of my experience with non-monogamy so I'm just looking to just kind of free that up again when you say angst could you go into a little more detail Oh, just like the the feelings and the complicated feelings and the the breakups and the like what is this and yeah it's like you know we tried being a triad for a while with mm -hmm. with Flick's current girlfriend and as it went on I just I found that that just wasn't where I was mm -hmm. and and I, I really liked her and I really cared about her, but for so long I tried to do it. And so there was so much 
discord in my feelings because I'm like, I'm supposed to feel this. Oh, yikes. For her. And I don't always. And then I would get in moments where it would all feel great. And I'd be like, see, you do feel this. And then it would all just start to feel terrible again. And I would uh. just be like, no, like you, there's these feelings that you feel like you can get back there. And so like, it was just such a struggle back and forth for a really long time. And she was very sensitive to that. Cause sure. you know, clearly there's a human being with feelings. Yeah. And someone's going from saying, I love you. You're important to me, presumably to like, Oh, I love you. And you're important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very much so. And, and just feeling like I needed to be something I wasn't. And for, for a while in the beginning, I, I felt like if I wasn't like into weekly dates and into all this stuff that I was keeping them apart and I was a monster for doing oh, that. Yikes. Um, and so even, so even though I had an actual panic attack when she suggested doing weekly dates, um, I said yes, because I felt like I had to, because oh, that no. was for them. And thankfully we eventually worked out that, like we should have sort of different relationships yeah. and, and it was okay. We didn't need to like everybody, you know, the, the whole like equity equality kind of thing. Like, you know, we don't need equal time together. Like we just want the time that works for us. Yeah. And, and having like an equal sense of importance yeah. is, is, is ideal in terms of um, like, I think prior prioritization, like people should be held as important, yeah. worthwhile, you know, human beings and individuals. Yeah. And that doesn't mean necessarily equal resource sharing. It doesn't necessarily mean exactly the same amount of time. It doesn't mean that the love you feel for one person is going to be identical to the love you feel for another. Yeah. Like there's no, there is no perfect enforced equity of the human heart. Yeah, for sure. There is the ebb and flow. Even if people were almost exactly equal, almost, you would still have the ebb and flow. And at times it's going to be out of sync. Mm -hmm. And like, Oh my goodness, folks need to know this and yeah. be prepared. And we had, of course, you know, total newbies like going into this and 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 she was a newbie as well and and so yeah, none of us knew what we were doing and you know, gradually once we we separated things out and stuff, you know, that was going better. Um but I'm just like I am really introverted mm -hmm. and I need so much time to myself. Mm -hmm. And I really I, I'm not great with a lot of eye contact and I'm not great with a lot of intensity directed at me with feelings and with that sort of stuff. I'm just kind of like, no, just please leave me alone. Um, and the two of them were so effusive and, and, you know, with the PDAs, you know, climbing all over each other. And um, we, we joke about it now. And I would just like, you're a couple of grossies. Like, that's like, why would you do that? And, you know, out in public, like no one wants to see that. Um, and so like, there was just always this discord in that, in those feelings. And eventually, you know, we tried to do, she and I were just sort of had friends with benefits and they were, you know, sort of more of a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, and we did that for a while and it, it sort of worked, but eventually it was just like, no, we can, we just need to be friends. And, and now she and I have this loving friendship. Like I still, I still love her. And I, I don't think I was ever in love with her, which is sure. I think where that difference yep. was. Um, but we can be this lovely, loving friendship. We, we really care about each other and we're great resources for one another. And, you know, I do what I can to help with their relationship. Um, when I can, like this weekend, I'm going away um, for a few days to do a writing retreat totally by myself. I, you know, got myself a uh, Bowen Island Airbnb and like, you know, this is my ideal holiday. Um, 
And and so I made it happen on a weekend that she doesn't have her kids so that they can spend the weekend together. And so I like try to, when I can, help, nice. help them get that time um, because, you know, I love their relationship and I, I think that's great. But I'm just really glad I don't have to be there. It's, it's also nice just knowing like, oh, like I would love to spend time with my partner and be able to do service. Or I could spend time self-caring and someone else could do service and he could get his needs met. Yeah. 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 And, and they, they have such a different thing than we do. And that's wonderful. I'm, I'm just really glad they get that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely appreciate when there are times of lack or stress or someone's in a hospital, just knowing I have a network of people oh, who sure. love and take care of the same people I love and take care of. Yeah. It's like we all, I mean, I don't mean take care of in a dependent sense, just that we all care about each other. Yeah. And having help when you're like, oh, my partner really needs me right now, but I have a crazy work schedule and I can't manage to spend more than like two hours on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of situation. You're like, oh, but at least my partner has these other people that can, you know, support them. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're close enough that, you know, I go out of my way to help her if she needs it and she would sure. do the same for me. And um yeah, it's just like this extra community that, you know, we don't often have, especially in these big cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're making me think of my metamors. <laughs> <laughs> metamors are awesome. Metamors are great. I mean, they don't, they aren't always. <laughs> True. And sometimes you're going to get in a situation where, you know, you feel what you feel and honoring that's important. Yeah. If it's jealousy, it's jealousy. Yeah. You know, like it's just so important to honor where you are and work from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it can be hard, and I think that was part of the conflict in the relationship was just because she's so different than I am, and because they would, you know, express themselves so differently to one another than than the way I did. I always I sort of felt like inferior and kind of wrong and broken, um, mm. and I often would describe myself as an ice queen and a robot and stuff because I just I'm just not this effusive person, and I have. I've had some people that I felt that way about and I felt really comfortable being that effusive, mm. but that's, that's not my typical expression. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, I felt like I was, I was wrong when I was not yeah. there with them. Yeah. And that's such a, that's such a good point of making just that it's easy to feel wrong being exactly as you are. And really there is no other way to be Mm -hmm. like doing work on oneself is important and being willing to do the personal growth is important, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean pretending you don't have jealousy. It means like looking at it, confronting it and being honest and transparent about it. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling right now. I'm not blaming anyone for this, but I can also see what the triggers are and then being able to break it down and do all that inner work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Counselors, coaches, things like that. Very yes. important. Oh, yes. Thera- there, therapy is amazing. And there are more and more non-monogamy um, friendly counselors. Yeah. Dragonstone Counseling is a resource yeah. I would recommend. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And there are also relationship coaches, tons of relationship mm-hmm. coaches. Um, I know a couple on the island. I know um, at least one in Vancouver. So, yeah, yeah. there are the humans. Yes. Um, how did you initially find your way through sexual shame? Was it, you were mentioning the death of your parents. I'm curious if there was like another trigger in and around that where you first sort of took a breath and sort of made that leap into talking about what you wanted, like when you first broke through yeah. some of the shame. I feel like it, it was again, kind of related to all the slash fiction because there mm. were just, I was discovering 
just new things all the time. Like we joke about like, oh, I, you know, I've got a new kink every week because you would read some sexy story and it was like, I had no idea I was into that, but I'm totally into that. Right. And I think by writing things that turned me on, it just like allowed me to accept that those things turned me on and it helped me to feel just better in myself. And especially being in a community of writers where we're all talking about that sort of stuff, seeing mm. other people be really open about the things that they were into that I was always very ashamed that I was into that. Like, and people just be like, just so clear and free about it. It really helped me find my way into like expressing it in those forums and then gradually bringing that into my life. Sometimes I wish I weren't such a shame fetishist, but it's so hot to me. <laughs> when people are like, I feel actively ashamed about this kind of thing. Yeah. And you get to sort of like gently shove them a little bit into yeah. that shame. It's like taking their face and just holding it to the shame. Yeah. There's something about that that is so hot. When it turns them on, so hot for me. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you promote sex positivity now? Well, I would say that, you know, doing the doing the writing, you know, being out there as an author, blogger, podcaster, all that kind of stuff um, allows me to, to express it. But I've also I found kind of more, you know, in my muggle life that I have been more open about things and, you know, recommending books like uh, Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are, like just to everybody on my Facebook, you know, including like, you know, students from my Zumba class and, you know, like, you know, like friends of my parents and like just to everybody and just being like, no, this is an amazing book. And, and just like that idea that I want everyone to benefit, to, to benefit and to feel better about themselves and to, to figure out like what they're into and, and how they work and being able to let go of a lot of that socialized mm -hmm. crap. Mm -hmm. um, and when Flick and I did a toy demo uh, a few months ago, I, I did, this was a much more curated list, but it wasn't like a, you know, only the people I knew that knew me as a pervert. Um, it was <laughs> like, it was a much broader list than that. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, didn't, you know, weren't into it, but a lot of people were like, Hey, that's really interesting. And, and it's cool that you're doing this. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've had some private conversations with people who weren't like totally comfortable, you know, coming to a thing where we were just going to talk about it out loud, but it allowed for, um, for some conversations that uh, wouldn't have occurred if I hadn't just been willing to, to kind of put myself out there and be like, toys are amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so true about so many things, threesomes, unicorning, etc. If you aren't willing to talk about it and put the word out, hey, I'm looking for a couple to fuck slash yeah. a couple to fuck me. Yeah. I'm looking to do sexual service for a couple. Um, I'm looking to do this or that. If you, if you don't put it out there, you can't even start fishing. Yeah. And Honestly, so much of unicorning I find is is like um, unicorn luring. You know, it's not about hunting. It, it's about petting. Mm. Like, you know, you have like free unicorn treats as a yeah. sign um, outside of the conspicuous, you know, stable with the inconspicuous gate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the unicorns are always going to be looking for that gate because they don't want to be gated. No. And, and I think because I'm so comfortable in myself, like, I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I want us to, to fool around and have some sex. But that is, that's it. Yeah. And 
like I'm just super upfront about that. I'm like, there's there's nothing more to this. I'm not, I don't want to join a triad. I don't want to do any of this. Yeah. I want to get together, have some physical pleasure. I want to be friends because I need that. Yeah. That kind of like, I need to like the people. I, I um, feel exactly the same way. It almost doesn't even need to go to friendship as long as I have yeah. some modicum of kindness or respect or feel like they're kind or respectful. Exactly. Like there's some kind of common humanity of like, I like these people. They seem like good people I could be friends with. Yeah. I don't even at that point, I don't need to be friends with them. I just need to know that we could be friends and that I don't dislike them as people. For sure. And they like we need to share like a certain amount of values mm. um, because if they, you know, are like Republicans or something, I'm not going <laughs> to fuck them. And like, yeah, like you need to be a feminist to get in my pants. Sure. Um, and like I, I need to have these kinds of conversations that that I can su- suss out where we are. And, you know, we're not always going to be like totally into the same things, which is fine because that's what makes people interesting. But I just there needs to be some commonalities that they, you know, aren't don't think like all women should be bi and bi men are disgusting. And like, like we need to, you know, get some framework there that I and yeah, I don't I don't want to go to the bowling with them. Like, I don't need any (laughs) of that stuff. Um, But yeah, I just want to know that we can lie around in bed afterward and have a conversation. Yeah. Um, Talk about what worked, what didn't work, what could be better. Yeah. What was really good. And even just babbling about like pop culture stuff or whatever that but just that I feel enough of that sort of, yeah, comfort. And that, that, yeah, that kindness and respect and, and... You know, it it strikes me as a form of social lubricant. Yeah. It's like, it makes your interactions, like, harmonious in a way. Yeah. It just feels like, nothing feels forced. It feels very, like, organic and almost, like, facilitated. Like, they care enough to want you to be socially comfortable. Yeah. And for me as an anxious person, <laughs> that's very appreciated. Yeah. I wonder how much of that's anxiety sometimes. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of anxiety, I was going to ask, how does sexual shame continue to show up as a struggle in your life? Yeah, it's definitely less than it was. I mean, it's there. You know, it it was pounded into me for so long that... and yeah. you say that in an unironic way. Yeah, and I was thinking, and it's hard not to have it be an element when people are pounding other things into me. Um, mm-hmm. But I've, yeah, it's definitely something that I battle with a bit. And, and I know that we, especially when we were as a triad, we would go to events like with our girlfriend and introduce her as our girlfriend and be open about that. Um, but that's because, you know, even though it was unusual, it's sort of respectable. Um, but you know, it's, it's much more vulnerable to be like, Hey, I had, you know, casual sex before I came over. Um, yeah, that piece of it is still something I struggle with just being really comfortable with. And I think, you know, letting more people into my life, letting more, you know, of my just regular friends, you know, read my book and, and see that piece of me has helped to, to let go of some of that, but it's still, yeah, it's still a struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I have nothing to add. You phrased it so succinctly. Um, so when you've, do you still have like a way of processing through sexual shame? Like, do you, do you explore sexual shame and process through it ever? Do you do that in counseling? Do you do it with partners? Do you do it on your own or not at all? Um, I don't think I have like a formal process for it or anything. Um, sure. I think I, I try to talk about it more and yeah, thankfully like, you know, Flick is a great resource to talk about that kind of thing. And I do have a lot of other friends that I can sort of process that kind of stuff with a little bit. 
and I like I I write a lot and and really a lot of that all the blogging that was done was just me figuring shit out because I figure things out by writing about it. Got you. And so that has really been been helpful in a lot of that ways because I often like I learn these things about myself that I had no idea until I was you know writing through it. I, so I see. So it's it's it sounds almost like writing yelling in pasties or um, blogging. I take it you blog on on the wet coast dot yeah. um, Doing a lot of that is part processing work. Yeah. Cool. So what advice would you give someone listening who's struggling with sexual shame? Hmm. Don't let the patriarchy win. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I mean, always good advice, but yeah. do you have anything a little more instructive? Um, I'd say, like, doing a lot of reading um, of other people's stuff. Like, you can start with things like like The Ethical Slut, even though that book, you know, it does feel a bit dated now because it was written sort of in the 90s, I think. Um, it, it still is is helpful. And, and even if you're not non-monogamous, you know, books like Opening Up can be helpful because they just... Like talking about sexuality, and see, and reading other people's experience of it can just like it just normalizes mm-hmm. things. And opening up has that amazing bit I found anyway. It was really good for me. Where that's Tristan Tarmino's book, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And it's written from a very monogamous to hierarchical polyamorous yeah. kind of like range, which is not my range. I am definitely like not that it's in any way a continuum or a spectrum because yeah. in my opinion, it's really not. Um, but I'm definitely from the relationship anarchist side of things. So when I when I look at that, I'm like, oh, this is really not written for me. Yeah. And I still got enormous tools out of it because yeah. of the EPI or whatever, the um, jealousy deconstruction into envy, possessiveness, insecurity, and exclusion. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I just rattled those off like that. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was super useful, though. It's a great tool. For sure. And it, and it really helps because a lot of this stuff is really relevant in monogamy. Mm-hmm. You know, jealousy, it's not like only non-monogamous people get jealous. And it it really helps to 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 see through like where a lot of that shame comes from by just breaking it down into these pieces. And uh, again, I mentioned it earlier. Emily Nagoski's book "Come as You Are" just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect. I'm like, eh, I know about my body, whatever. I know how I work. Um, but yeah, it, I scribbled all over it and, and yeah, folded it all up and like, it took so many notes and just would have to stop and think about it and go back and read it again. And uh, it's a phenomenal book. And I, and she, um, has released a workbook to go with it now, which, um, I haven't had a chance to check out, but it seems like it would be a really useful, uh, piece of work. And, um, so yeah, and you know, listening to people's podcasts, like all this sort of stuff, just hearing more and more people talk about it, just it helps to normalize. It just helps you to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, mm-hmm. and that for me helped so much because mm-hmm. yeah, again, as an anxious person, yeah, not like you don't feel so alone, and then you know you can find community and you can find you know explore a little bit and find some people who are like, yeah, I'm I'm t- so into this thing that you're into and. And even if you're just talking about it, it just, yeah, it just helps you work your way through. Awesome. That is all the questions I have for you today. Um, did you have any questions for me on these topics? Oh, hmm. 
Well, maybe since you were so fascinated with the idea of the sexual shame from your mother, I'm curious about... uh, Oh, sexual shame for me? Yeah, where like if if your mother gave you that same... like Interesting. (laughs) So actually, this reminds me of a hilarious story. My parents, the way that they told me about sex, um, at one point, and this was after I had become sexual in the sense that I was masturbating, I was looking at pornography, and I had already learned from the internet. Yeah. Um... My father, when I was probably 13, no, no, older, like 14, 15 at least, um, asked me while we were walking in a bird sanctuary if I was sexually active. And I said, like, I don't even know what that means. And I, like, don't really want to have this conversation. And the next words out of his mouth were blurted. They were, you know, when you're young, you think sex is just about getting your balls off. And I just about lost it on him. I was like, Dad, I never want to hear any of those words come out of your mouth ever again. Um, Because he waited until I was 15. Like, he could have had that conversation with me when I wasn't anxious and and insecure and uncertain about sexuality because it was all happening to me. Yeah. Like, I could have been equipped with that information before I was exposed to puberty happening to me. Yeah. Um, And then it would have felt like I was going through puberty. But it felt very much like I couldn't control these changes happening to my body. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, um, I think I'm either she told me or I asked about sex at one point. I was mm-hmm. younger in this case. And her way of trying to say that sex was natural, natural um, was, you know, the sex is just like the peeing and the pooing. And I give, I give her points. What, gross? (laughs) Well, and so when I told this to my brother, I was like, what does she even mean by that? My brother was like, well, I mean, I guess for some people, (laughs) um, which was actually a really clever and funny comeback, but I was too young to really like get it or appreciate it. (laughs) I mean, I guess for some people, I'm like, thanks, Mark. I appreciate your non-stigmatizing like approach to this. Um, but, uh. Yeah, in terms of sexual shame, I think the biggest one was the only place I learned about sex um, was the computer. Oh, and okay. I'm old enough enough that uh, <laughs> um, that I didn't have a phone. This was before people had phones; they had computers they carried around in their pockets. It was when laptops were three thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and three thousand dollars was a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> um, or at least more, more, more sense of a lot of money than it is now. Even though now it is still a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it was just a lotter of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so we had one family computer and that was it for the entire house, which meant there was a computer room that was like an office and that was the only place to go to look at pornography. And it was a public space. Yeah. That was terrifying. It was like, you had to make sure that out of the five people that used the home, you were, you were either one of one or one of two. So I was, my entire experience of being sexualized and learning about sex was a state of being in constant anxiety that someone's going to come in, mm-hmm. listening for it, just very much being a sentry, like not making a sound, being as silent as humanly possible during any kind of sex. Yeah. And I think it's been very hard to unlearn that. If there is any degree of sound that's being made by beds, by whatever. Yeah. Fortunately, with a with a dominant framework that I often work in, it is really easy to grab someone by the throat and be like, I'm going to fuck you on the floor. Yeah. And that's great. And that can be hot. But what really matters is it's less noisy. Yeah. 
And then it's like, I wish that weren't the thing, but it is for me. It's to the point where like fucking on my floor here is different for me than fucking on my floor in the hallway. Cause I know it's less noisy in the rest of the house. Like I'm hypersensitive to noise to this day. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Yeah. It's really sad to me. Like it, it honestly, I've had partners that are so invested in the noises that their masculine partners make. Yeah. They're like, I really just want to hear you totally sexually into me. And I'm like, great for me. That sounds like silence. Yeah. And I, and I did notice that when I started having more cis male partners that a lot of them are just completely silent. And I'm like, do you like anything that is happening right now? And especially, you know, when you're giving a blowjob or a handjob or something like that, that you're like, give me something. Like, I, just, I need feedback. Like, I need to know that you're into this. Like, it doesn't have to be loud, but like, you know, I, I need a moan or a sigh or something, but even yeah. just to guide me. Like, yeah. I want to know where you are yeah. in your sexual pleasure. And in that journey, like where in the map of your orgasm, <laughs> what town are you visiting? Yeah. Cause like, it's, it's a big country. Like, yeah, absolutely. I just want to have like an idea of like what stimulation would get you to a place you want to be at. Yeah. And if that's sustaining a blowjob for 50 minutes or something insane like that, you know, giving you lockjaw afterwards, then yeah. like, fine, we could talk about that, negotiate that. But I, I need to know not to go too far then. And yeah. like, you know, just really understanding that map and getting into like, like, so much of that is feedback from the person that is receiving whatever you're doing with them. Yeah. And that for me is so analogous with BDSM, where when people first start playing with a bottom, if that bottom is a quote unquote black hole, not to shame folks like that, because I very much was like that, the coaching I received, which unfortunately came from a fairly shameful place, um, since we're talking about shame, um, but the coaching I received was excellent, which was if you make absolutely no noise as a bottom, just try and sound like what you think you would sound like if you did make noise. Just mm. practice. Mm -hmm. Like, give it a shot. Try it on your own. Try it out with a partner. Let, let a partner know you're going to try some stuff. Please don't laugh. Like, yeah. this is really important to me and this is really vulnerable for me. And then once your partner knows what the stakes are, go nuts. Like, yeah. really give making noise a shot and then ask them afterwards. Like, how did that land for you? Like, what was really good? Um, what do you think was really unique? Try not mm -hmm. to use the word like "what did you detest" yeah. <laughs> or like "what did you what do you what sound do you really wish you never hear from me again." Like yeah. make it more like "what was really unique" because different partners will like different noises. Yeah, for sure. And and I and I had never thought about the the masturbation like in your room trying to keep quiet or like you know with the computer or whatever until yeah like I was I was talking about it with Flick and he's like oh no it's probably this and mm -hmm. I was like. Yeah, and you just, you know, explained it so perfectly because, you know, that was a lot of people's experience with with learning about their pleasure was, like, yeah. be as silent as possible. And honestly, like, in a lot of pornography, men don't make a lot of noise in American pornography. They do in European pornography. Oh, interesting. You'll see a lot more orgasm faces from men. You'll hear a lot more male moaning in mm -hmm. European pornography. And then in American pornography, they are a disembodied dick, essentially. Yeah. They're as invisible as they can humanly be. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, it's a lot of the shame because Europe has such a different approach approach with, you know, bodies and sexuality and stuff like yeah. that. But there's something inherently profane about all bodies, I think, in in Western culture, but especially in American Western culture. Yeah. And it's it's super neat. We'll get into this when we talk about gender stuff, about like profanity of bodies and stuff. I'd love to talk about that in the context of gender. But as we are right now, I feel really complete with yeah. this with this discussion of sex positivity in one's forties. I'm looking forward to mine. <laughs> They're really awesome. They're really awesome. 
so far every generation has been better every generation wow every every decade for me has been better than the previous decade and i'm expecting that to continue yeah i and i can confirm from my personal experience that that has been very true wonderful thank you so much kat for being with me today thank you So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.